Amen. Well, oh, I have not seen that video before. I love that. That's such great truth in there. Listen, I want to take a, a unscripted moment to talk just a minute about expressiveness in worship. Some of you are are there, and some of you are super actively involved, and some of you are wondering, am I allowed to do that? All right, so let me give you two things to think about because I don't, I don't want it just to be some emotional, oh, you know, I want to get out my lighter or my flashlight, excuse me, and, uh, you know, wave it. I, there are two things I think about when I'm worshiping. When, if, if someone were to point a gun at you and say, surrender, what would you do? Right? Your hands would go just like this. So when I'm thinking about surrendering my heart to God, surrendering to his will, that's when I tend to be like this. If someone offers you a dramatic gift and you're in a posture of wanting to receive, what would you do? You would do something like this, right? So try those two things, all right? When you're thinking about surrender, when you're thinking about receiving from God, there are lots of things you can do with your hands, and I'm, of course, very expressive with mine, so uh, it's uh, not quite as big a thing. But, you know, I mean, some of us come from backgrounds where that stuff is like no good, right? Like we're we're, we're right here, so not too many people see it, but God, and that's really okay, right? He's the only one that really needs to see that. Some of us are one-handers, you know, there's all sorts of uh, ways, but I don't want you to be shy about being expressive, okay? We are totally on board with that. Don't feel like you can only use your voice to express your worship to the Lord. Okay, we are, as I said earlier, stepping into a series that is going to last now for four Sundays through Labor Day weekend. Boy, that seems really quick, doesn't it? Man. But anyway, and we're going to talk about this theme of membership that matters. Now, everybody matters. I get that. I, as, I, as I got to finishing this up just yesterday, reviewing it, I thought I probably should have used a different term because somebody's going to be mad that I think they don't matter. That's not what I mean. But I want to really make a difference, right? So when we say membership that matters, you'll understand that's my point. We're trying to get to where we understand our connection, our commitment to our local church. We want to make a difference, okay? So we'll come back around to that in a minute. Find your way, if you would, to Mark chapter 9, and then I'll uh, rejoin you there in just a second. Let me give you a couple of things to, to think about as far as upcoming dates. Coastal tutoring, that is a ministry that involves about ballpark 35 uh, uh, kids, children, young people who are uh, in a process of a kind of a hybrid uh, uh, teaching, homeschooling kind of ministry. And it is part of what Coastal does. It is led by Carol Johnson. She, or Carol Reeder, excuse me, sorry, Carol, Dan and Carol Reeder are part of our family here and uh, lead our prayer ministry, and she leads Coastal Tutoring. That begins this next week, so if you want to pray for them, they would be grateful. If you want more information, uh, carol at gocoastal.org. Then two things that are in your bulletin, so I just want to mention them. One is ESOL, English for Speakers of Other Languages, begins uh, very soon, and that is held at Deer Park Fellowship, Coastal's first church plant, uh, that is independent now of Coastal, but still serving in that particular ministry. You can get information from your bulletin on that. Women of Coastal, uh, Women of the Word, is happening on August 27th. And uh, you ladies will perhaps want to take advantage of that. I think it's brunch. It says in there, in your bulletin. So 
uh, that'll be a good thing. And it's really good that it's brunch because that means you can send your husband at 8 o'clock here because we're having our first Men of Coastal breakfast uh, here at 8 o'clock. Uh, gentlemen, we recommend that you bring $7 along to help cover the cost of breakfast. And uh, so I'm really grateful for the guys that are heading that up for us. And uh, we're going to enjoy some opportunities to really get men connected to each other. It's really, really important. Okay. So where are we in Mark chapter 9? I want to talk to you a little about this business of membership. And of course, I'm eventually going to appeal to you that if you aren't an actual member of Coastal, that I want that to be true. I want to see that happen. But uh, regardless of that particular status, I want to be somebody who's part of this church, and I want to make a difference. You will hear me say repeatedly, I've probably already said it in the time that I've been here, I have no interest in just assembling a crowd here. I want to stage an army. Our goal is to bring people here train them to serve Jesus and impact this community for Christ, right? That's what we want to do. So when we talk about membership, it's not just getting your name on a roll. We don't just want you on a list somewhere. You can get on a list for a lot of places. Go ahead, get on a list. We want people who are going to come in and are going to get connected. So how do I function in that way? Well, the first challenge I want to offer to you today, uh, and this is much more topical than I am accustomed to uh, teaching. I'm not going to be in one particular passage, but I think this is really important. There are three specific places in Scripture that talk about this theme, and it is this. If I'm going to be a member that makes a difference, it's going to begin with my attitude, and that has to do with servanthood. If I am not a servant, if I'm not humble enough to be willing to serve other people, it's just it's going, to be, it's going to be a show. It's going to be a, a something to just check off and say, I did it. There are going to be a lot of things I could do by being active. But if I'm not there to serve, I'm going to be in trouble. Now, the problem with talking about servanthood and humility is none of us has gotten there, right? And as soon as we think we have, we just proved we weren't, right? It doesn't work that way. Most of us could write books on how that doesn't work out, right? Like humility and how I attained it or something on that order or, or the 10 greatest people in the world and how I chose the other nine or something. It would be the, they'd be the title of my books because I battle with this, wanting to view other people as more significant and we'll come back around to that. You remember um, the, uh, the name Muhammad Ali, right? The great boxer and... Uh, it, the story is told of him. He was well known for his lack of humility. Uh, he was the greatest, right? And he knew that. And uh, he was apparently got seated on uh, his uh, plane headed somewhere on the 747. And as the plane began to taxi and get ready to move uh, toward takeoff, the uh, flight attendant said, uh, walk by the aisle. And of course, everybody's supposed to buckle up, you know, and all that. And she looked over and said, sir, uh, would you please buckle your seatbelt? He looked up and said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. She looked back at him and said, Superman don't need no plane. <laughs> uh, you love it when somebody who thinks way more of themselves than they should gets put in their place, right? Unfortunately, I think we all need maybe to be put in our place a little bit. So the goal today is to talk about being servants. How do we 
do that? Well, there are three things we have to understand, and we're going to get to what being a servant is about, but there are two things that it's not about, and the first is it's not about my influence. Servanthood is not about whether I get to be upfront and influence people. Now, I get it. There's such a such a struggle for me to talk about something like that because I am upfront telling you it's not about being upfront, right? But servanthood, a servant's heart is not about influence. I want you to be in chapter 9 with me of Mark, and I want to read these uh, few verses beginning in verse 33. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? In fact, let me just stop there before we read the rest of it. Don't read the rest of it yet. Uh, um, They have just been traveling. Now, of course, you know, in, in New Testament days, they walked pretty much everywhere. And so there was a lot of travel, there was a lot of walking, and so there was a lot of time to converse and, and all of that. And it, where they had been was in Caesarea Philippi, and where they were headed was Capernaum. It's about 60 miles. That's several days of walking, right? Even when you're accustomed to walking a lot, it's going to take you some time, some days to get there. They had been in Caesarea Philippi in the villages in that area for about six days, almost a week. And during that time is when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on the mountain. And we know that as the transfiguration, when they saw his glory shine through. So that's the background of what's happening here. And as they're traveling, Jesus, for the second time, is discussing with them the reality that he is going to die. His death is coming, and he will rise again. And that's, that is not at all what they've expected, and so they're struggling with that. So that's the kind of the context. They've been traveling, and Jesus has told them about his impending death. And then they get to Capernaum. And when he was in the house with them, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? They kept silent, it says. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Now, these are the 12 apostles, right? We look at them as they're they're the big dogs, right? At least perhaps in our mind. They're the ones that first gave their lives, most of them, for the cause of Christ. They were his disciples that followed him. I can just imagine when he said, hey, what were you guys talking about while we were traveling? Well, they just kind of shuffled their feet and looked at the ground. Oh, nothing. Kind of like your kids, right? When they've been doing something they shouldn't. What are you guys doing? Oh, nothing. They've been talking about... Who's the greatest? Who's the most important? Who's the one that's going to have the biggest influence in this kingdom? Jesus' challenge in verse 35 is this. He sat down and called the 12 and said, If anyone would be first, he must be last and servant of all. Who's the greatest? That's what we want to know. We don't ever ask, hey, where's the back of the line? 
We want to know where the front of the line is. And if the line is too long, I don't want to wait. I don't want to be in this long line unless at the end of that line there's something really incredible, right? I want it to be worth my time to wait in line. There are so many things that we just say that we don't realize we are exalting our own importance as we say them. It's not about my influence. It's not about who's the greatest. It's about who's going to be the, the servant. Now go further in your copy of the scriptures to chapter 10 of Mark, and you're going to find the next section I want to read. Verse 35. Now the background of this, again, is... Jesus has now for the third time been talking to them about his death. They're on the road. They're going up now to Jerusalem. And Jesus is walking ahead of them, and they're amazed. And he began to tell them what was going to happen. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be crucified. And after three days, he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said to him, Teacher, we want for you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Do you ever have, again, do you ever have your kids come up? Hey, would you do something for me? If you're a wise parent, you begin the response with, well, that depends on what you want, right? These guys, would you do whatever we ask of you? And Jesus said to them, well, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand in your glory, in your kingdom. And Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? And they said, we're able. Of course we can, right? Jesus said, oh, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I'm baptized, you will be baptized. You are going to suffer. You're going to die just like I am. But to sit on my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant. It is for those for whom it has been prepared. I'm going to stop there for a second. That's a pretty profound thing, right? These two guys decide to come to Jesus he having just foretold his death again, and they want top billing. They want their influence to be recognized. They want a seat at the head table. And he challenges even that desire. Do you know what's required of the person who's at the head of the line? You would think, well, those two, man, they're standouts of pride, right? But the text goes on to say, when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. 
Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. They're indignant, whether they just were so humble themselves that they were concerned for James and John that they had been demonstrating pride, which would not have been my attitude, or whether they were just mad that they had the audacity to ask that question, apparently in front of everyone else, whether or not they were just frustrated that they hadn't thought to ask first. I don't know. But none of them seemed to think it was a bad question. They were just indignant. Well, I never. I never thought to ask that, probably. It's about influence in the minds of these disciples. They want to know, how do I get to a place where I'm higher in the level of influence? But for the one who's going to be a servant, it's not about influence. It's not about who's the greatest. It's not about, can I be first in line? So, so how does that happen today, right? We look at... at Somebody who's up front or somebody who's singing or somebody who's leading in whatever particular ministry we want to be part of. Well, I think I could do that better. Listen, can I tell you, I readily acknowledge there are probably several of you here that could do this better than I do. I'm totally on board with that. But I've been assigned this task, and so you have to listen to me. <laughs> Pastor Marcus is uh, away, or soon to be Pastor Marcus. We're, we are, uh, he's away for the week with his uh, family on vacation up visiting Tierra's family in Detroit. And before he left, he said, I got to take a sermon with me because I'm pretty sure they're going to ask me to preach. They always do. With good reason, right? The man is easy to listen to. Gifted communicator. It's not about influence. God can influence people with anybody he wants to. Secondly, if I'm going to be a servant, I have to learn it's not about my interests. Well, that's even harder. Because I know for some of you, influence is not something you're interested in. You would, you would rather have your fingernails pulled out than have to step up here on Sunday morning and teach. I get it. For some of you, that you have no interest in that. Some of you have... Gifts that are very different from the worship team. Were you asked to sing up front? It maybe wouldn't be pretty. And you're well aware of that. God doesn't ask us all to sound amazing, right? We joke about make a joyful noise under the Lord. Some people do exactly that. That's okay. Not everybody's expected to be able to sing as well as the people that did this this morning. But all of us struggle with this. What about my interests? What about what I want to see done? So I'm still in Mark chapter 10, and I'm, I'm dropping down now to verse 44. This is Jesus as he continues that previous discussion we were talking about. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, 
but to serve. So the first, whoever that is, must be a slave. The first, the one who is supposed to be in charge, must consider slavery, servitude to be their lot. It's not about my interest. It's not about getting my way. This principle of church leadership applies to every facet of life, and it, it applies to membership. It's not about my interests. Now find your way to Philippians 2. I want to camp there for a few minutes. Where we are given some instruction that includes this truth. Others are more important. Others are more important. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Man, if I had to pick a verse that I think would make, or a couple of verses that would make the biggest difference in the most uh, broad sense in our lives, it might just be these two verses. Because this is not a challenge to insecurity. This isn't a challenge to inferiority, to feel like, oh, you know, I, I, everybody hates me, nobody loves me, I guess I'll go eat worms, or whatever the, the, the song was. Right? This isn't a challenge to think down on myself. This is a challenge to look at other people in a certain kind of way, and that way has to do with them being more significant. Don't, don't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, with a spirit of humility, count others more significant than yourself. Consider them to have greater value. That, that's a word that talks about coming to a conclusion. And it has nothing to do with organizational structure, right? Whether that's in the church or in your home or at work or wherever it is, it's not about organizational structure. I'm going to look and see who's more significant than me. No, this is me saying in my relationships with other people, I'm going to consider other people as more significant than me. Boy, how would that affect how I work with the staff here at Coastal and Hampton? How would that affect my marriage? If every time I would get up in the morning, I would review Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3, and I would look at my wife and say, she is more significant than I am. Or you doing that to your spouse. What kind of difference would that make? We'd be having arguments about who gets their way because I'd be making sure my wife got hers and she'd be saying, no, 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 no. We're not doing that. You're getting your way. We don't ever have those arguments, do we? Because we don't often consider others more significant than ourselves. I'm sorry, I'm stepping on toes too much. Let's be more general and talk about the church. <laughs> What a difference it makes in the church. 
if the pastor and the staff and the ministry leaders can look at the people around them and say, they are more significant than I am. Not as some kind of false humility, but as a heart that is genuinely humble before the Lord. So how do we do that? Well, we think like Christ, right? The rest of this section in Philippians chapter 2 describes the attitude of Jesus. Beginning in verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Man, I wish I had time to parse this whole section of Scripture out. Jesus is God. That's never changed. When he came to earth, he didn't stop being God. He was still God. But he didn't consider all of the the things that were his in heaven to be something to hang on to because there was something else that was more important to him. And that was considering you and me as more significant than he was. And we all know that's not true. So what did he do? He was in the form of God. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. I'm going to stop there, but those are three times he said he humbled himself, right? He humbled himself to become a servant, to become like us. I, I get it. We, we feel like we're the top of the food chain as far as creation goes, so... So that's not a horrible thing. But think about if you're God and now you're going to take on humanity. That's pretty limiting, right? Um, I think it was Jay Vernon McGee, one of, the, one of the teachers of a former generation, used to say that would be like us wanting to become an ant to communicate our love and care for the ants. Fascinating picture, right? Uh, when springtime comes and they come out in force, man, I would do almost anything to tell them, have that at the backyard, take it, eat it, I don't care, I don't want to mow it anyway, right? But I'd never become an ant to communicate to ants. But God, Jesus, God the Son, became man. He humbled himself and then humbled himself further to the point of death. We all die because we have to at some point. It's just going to come. Jesus died because he offered himself. Not just death. The death of a criminal. The death of execution. Save for the worst kind of criminal. Because in the practice of how Jesus functioned, Paul is using that here in Philippians as an example of how to consider others as more significant than yourself. It's not about my influence. It's not about my interest. Boy, does that happen in churches? Listen, I know of churches that have split over the color of the carpet. I know of churches that have had royal wars because a few people didn't like the music or something happened, right? It's not about my interests. It's not about me getting done what I want. It is about me doing what's best for other people. That makes me a member that makes a difference.
So it's not about my influence. It's not about my interest. And what is it about? It's about other people. It's about others. Now I want to go to John chapter 13, and we're going to spend the balance of our time here. We've talked about this before at our Maundy Thursday service. Man, I hope you come to that next year, Thursday prior to Easter. I'm going to summarize the first 12 verses. This is the example of Jesus. They are at the Last Supper as we know it. And Jesus, when they have kind of finished their dinner, takes a towel and puts it around his his waist, puts it in his belt in a bowl, basin of water, and he begins to go to each of those 12 disciples, one at a time, and he's washing off, rinsing off their feet. Whether it was symbolic or whether no one had done it before, the symbolism is powerful, right? Jesus goes around and does all that, and we tend to focus on the the piece where Peter says, oh, no, 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 you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, well, then you have no part of me. And Jesus was like, oh, give me a bath then. I'm, I'm in. I was really uh, moved to think about something this past week as I was reviewing this message. It, doesn't impress, it does impress me that Jesus did this at all. What really impresses me is Jesus washed Judas's feet too. And the text tells us Satan had already put it in Judas's heart that he was going to betray him. And Jesus can read minds, and he knows what Judas is about to do, and he washes Judas's feet. That's his example. And then his challenge comes beginning in verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. So stop there for a second. This was not a matter of Jesus having an incorrect evaluation of himself. This wasn't Jesus saying, man, these, I got to serve these guys because they are actually more important than me. He knew who he was. He was their teacher. He was their Lord. That's why I say this isn't about organizational structure. This isn't about your role in a particular thing. This is about your attitude toward the people around you. Jesus said, you're right to call me teacher and Lord. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done. Truly, a servant is not greater than his master. I am greater than you, Jesus said, but I have chosen to serve you, to practically meet your needs. If I'm taking on a servant's task, surely you should. So how do I do that today? I I look for opportunities to serve other people. I look for opportunities to minister to my brothers and sisters. I take up service opportunities in the church. Listen, I'm not just here to keep you busy. There's a lot of stuff to do, and I surely do need people to help in some of these areas, but it's an opportunity for us to serve. You will hear over and over and over again in your time at Coastal, right? What are the three things we do? Our vision is to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ, and we do it in three ways. What are they? Same right up. 
connect, grow, and serve. So we're starting with serve today. We serve. It's what we do. It's what we want our people to do. It's how we demonstrate ourselves to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Pastor Marcus isn't here. Children's ministry is going really well. People ask me, we visited back in Gloucester. I was still on vacation last Sunday, so we went back to Gloucester. And of course, everybody says, no, how's it going in Hampton? And uh, so I told them, and one of the things I told them was we didn't begin children's ministry till March because we really didn't have any children for the most part. We began it in March with basically three babies. And the Sunday prior to my vacation, we had 17 children in children's ministry. I'm thrilled to death with that. I couldn't be happier. That tells me that we're reaching young families. There's young life in this church. Right now we are basically infants through third grade. Guess what? In about two or three weeks, we're going to extend that to fifth grade, 45th Street, we call it. And that same week, later in the week, we're going to begin a small group for middle school students to begin as the basic foundational work of our student ministry. I need people to serve in those things. You are not, there's hardly a role I can think of where you are more of a servant than when you take somebody else's child, somebody else's baby, somebody else's teenager, (laughs) and minister to them and care for them and be Jesus to them. We serve. Our first impressions team they come in here every Sunday. They have a smile on their face. They're offering themselves to serve God. They'll tell you where in the building you can find the restroom or whatever, introduce you to the people you need to see. They are the people who are our frontline people that everybody gets to see, along with our security team, which are protecting us down by the door, right? At some point in time, we're going to need people out in our parking lot to help direct traffic because as we grow, we're going to fill up this parking lot quickly. Our worship team is always needing people. Listen, I have a little fun with with, uh, those who can sing and those who can't, but if you can, listen, you don't have to have a degree in music. You don't have to have been on America's Got Talent. You don't have to have that level of capacity to serve God on our worship team. Yes, we're going to ask you to audition. We want to make sure you can at least carry a tune, right? We do need to have a certain level of of, uh, ability. But man, if you can play an instrument, we're not going to just throw you up here on your own. We have a process of integration, right? Talk to Rachel. Rachel at gocoastal.org. Talk to Beth Ann. She's here today. Let them know you're interested. We'll get an audition process going. And man, if you're a little insecure and uncomfortable with it, we'll have you play with other people who are, who've been doing it a while. Serve, right? Whatever the thing is, production is the other one I jotted down. That's, it's really, really valuable, right? Uh, it's the ministry that you only notice if it doesn't work right. I'm super thankful. Rachel said to me just this past week, uh, about last Sunday, she said, I think it's the first Sunday nothing went wrong. I'm pretty sure today nothing went wrong, or they covered it really well, right? That's service. You are behind the scenes. Nobody sees you. 
But God has given us the opportunity to say, and there are lots of places. Man, if you have the capacity to teach, let's talk. If you have the capacity to lead a small group, let's talk. We're going to have four small groups led by people in our campus this fall as opposed to the two we had in the spring. I'm super excited about what God is doing here. We will be members who matter when we are members who are willing to be servants. A servant's attitude toward each other, a humble spirit toward each other, a willingness to acknowledge that each other are more significant than we are. That gives us a chance to rejoice when somebody else gets a role that we kind of hoped we might get. Because our goal is to consider everybody else as more significant. That's not going to make you feel badly about yourself. I promise you, you're going to find a, a sense of uh, comfort and encouragement in your walk with the Lord and in your, uh, your service for Christ that you have helped to push other people forward. I've prepared a few messages uh, that include the conversation that Peter had with Jesus. I think I just used this the other day, but it strikes me as helpful. Remember when Jesus had just restored Peter, said, listen, I need you to feed my lambs. I need you to be serving and, and sharing with my people and caring for them. And by the way, you're going to die and it's going to be pretty rough. <laughs> and Peter was ready to accept that and willing, and he kind of glanced over his shoulder while they were talking, and John was sitting there. And <laughs> Peter said, well, Lord, what about him? And Jesus said, what business is that of yours? You follow me. Boy, what a, what a change in perspective, right? Not what about so-and-so and so-and-so. What about me? What does God want me to do? How can I be a servant today? I... <laughs> These sermons come up, and I use illustrations like marriage. And, I mean, you got to know, I have to go home this afternoon and apologize to my wife for just being a jerk, right, in life. <laughs> I, I do not always treat my wife like she's more significant than me. I don't necessarily treat all the people around me like they're more significant than me. That really works me over. So... As we get to the end of these sermons, and we're, we're about to do that, I want to I do something together over these next few weeks that uh, I hope will be useful. And I would like for you to recite this prayer that's on the screen ahead of you right now. And we're going to pray it together. Instead of our thoughts to take home, this is going to be our prayer uh, to take home with us. All right? So, so read it together with me. It'll be the first time you've seen it. I know that. So I'll, I'll read it loud. And it's on your bulletin. So I'd like you to take it with you and pray it this week. All right? So let's say it together. Dear Father, thank you for sending Jesus as a servant so I could have life through him and also as an example of how I should think and live. Help me to take that same position in my church family so that as we serve each other in love, our community will be drawn to us and ultimately to our Lord. What a powerful thought, right? I'm going to close in prayer. The team's going to come and we're going to sing together as we leave. Father in heaven, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for the reality of 
who Jesus is. Lord, I, I didn't talk specifically about the gospel, but I did talk about his willingness to come and sacrifice his life. And so, Lord, I pray for the, the one or others who might be here this morning that have never trusted in Christ. Lord, Jesus, God the Son, came to earth, lived the perfect life that we could never live, died on the cross, and came back to life again three, day, three days later, just like he promised he would. Lord, we acknowledge that as the gospel. So, Lord, I pray for those who have never dealt with that, that they would repent of their sin, believe the gospel, and receive Jesus today. I pray that they'd have the courage to talk to somebody about that before they go. Lord, for all of us, I just can't imagine hearing this sermon and not being moved in some capacity by it. Lord, we struggle with being servants. We struggle with being people who are humble enough to consider others as more significant than ourselves. But God, we want to be people who make a difference, members who make a difference here at Coastal and Hampton. So I pray that you would soften our hearts and humble us before you. Help us to keep in view your greatness and your glory so that we will be servants. For I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, our prayer team is going to be down here at the front. If you want somebody to talk to a little bit about what's been we've been talking about today or somebody to just pray with you, uh, come on and talk to them. But let's stand together and lift our hearts to the Lord.